Good morning, everybody. You guys excited today what God's going to do? Just turn in your Bibles, your phones, your iPads with me to Colossians chapter 3. We've been in a series called Colossal. You know, in 1978, across the street, the Colossus was unveiled. At the time, it was the biggest roller coaster in the world. The world, word colossal means big, great, or significant. And we named this study through the book of Colossians, Colossal, because we've discovered that what God had to say to the church at Colossae and what he's saying to us is big, it's great, it's significant. How many have learned some pretty important things over the last several weeks? Let me ask this question. How many of you have enjoyed going through the book of Colossians? Amen? All right, so grab your Bibles, turn there to Colossians 3. We're going to look at verse 1 through 3. As you're turning there, I think you notice Church at the Movies is coming. Didn't we have a great time last year? Well, it's coming in September. Start inviting your friends. Three weeks, we're going to be serving popcorn and milk duds and soda, and it's going to be an evangelistic outreach. Hundreds of people got saved last year. We're believing for the same thing. It's going to be incredible. You know, as you're turning in your Bibles, it made me think of a story, and I like to start sometimes with something funny. And uh, next weekend, we're going to be really diving into um, the dynamic of relationships between husbands and wives and parents and children and different things like that, because it's the next part of Colossians. And so I heard this story about a couple that had been married 60 years, and they happened to go to church to an event one night on their 60th wedding anniversary. And when they got there and everyone found out, they were amazed. And they, they said, what is the secret to your success? Well, the man kind of stood up and said, well, I'll tell you. I've always respected her and I've taken her on trips around the world. In fact, on her 25th wedding anniversary, I took her to Beijing, China. And everyone kind of gave a clap like, wow, that's great. And someone yelled out, they said, what did you do on your 50th? And he said, I went back and picked her up. Okay. So. All right. Yeah. All right. So you ready for the word? I just lost all the women. They don't like me anymore. So guess what? This message, if you're upset at me, this message is for you. All right. The big idea this weekend, the bumper sticker to walk away with, I want to share with you in a moment, but first I want you to stand your feet and I want us to read this passage. If you haven't been at Higher Vision, this has been the theme verse for our, enti for our entire year, that God wants us to look up. And what that's about is that it's about changing our perspective from a worldly perspective, from living down to living up to seeing things from a heavenly perspective. So I want us to declare this message, this verse in Colossians all together. Everybody reading, all of you online, why don't you stand and read with us as we honor the reading of God's word. Let's begin. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ. Let's close our eyes. Holy Spirit, we just surrender to you. We make room for you to say, to speak, to do whatever you desire. We ask that you would come and be able to penetrate past the distractions of life, 
the callousness of the cares sometimes that we carry in. But whatever it is that often causes us to miss out from that implanted word, we just say, speak to us. In fact, just say that. Say, Holy Spirit, speak to me. Now just pause for a minute. Open yourself to the working of the Spirit of God. I ask that you would anoint everything that's spoken. Let me decrease that you might increase. Let us leave not saying that was a bad joke or a good joke. Let us leave saying, I heard the voice of the Lord. In Jesus' name. Can somebody shout amen? Amen. You may be seated today. Man, this room is filled with energy and joy. And people seem so hungry and ready for the word. We've been going through the book of Colossians, and we've learned about changing our perspective. In fact, let me give you the bumper sticker this weekend. The bumper sticker that you want to walk away with is simply this. Write this down, and that is that you and I need to have a heavenly perspective about relationships. A heavenly perspective about relationships. You see, Paul, as we've been reading through the book of Colossians, he begins by you know, concern and worry from Epaphras who had come from um, the city of Colossae 1,300 miles to Rome to see Paul. And he was worried because there was false teaching that was threatening the health of the church. Teachings about philosophy and mysticism, Gnosticism, teachings about legalism. And those things were hindering the church. And he was worried that the church was going to buy into the culture of the day. Then he kind of shifts the focus in after chapter 1 and chapter 2, talking about the sufficiency of Christ and all of that, to, hey, now I want you to change your perspective. And last week, we learned about changing our perspective to a heavenly perspective about the way we talk. How many have been thinking about what you say a little more this week? All right. Because we speak life, right? Our words send us in the direction that we're going to go. We also learned that God wants to give us a different perspective about sexuality, This week, we're going to learn, and in the following week, we're going to learn that God wants to change our perspective to a heavenly perspective about relationships. So what I want to do is I want to dive into the next section of Colossians, and I wanted to get a bigger chunk, but I just didn't feel like I could do it. So let's read, if you have a Bible, um, if you don't, we're going to put it on the screens, Colossians chapter 3, verse 11 through 14. Paul is saying, now I want you to change the way you think about relationships. And before we get into a lot of specifics about husbands and wives and children and parents, let's lay a foundation. That's what basically Paul is saying. And here's what he says. He says, in this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. Since God chose you to be his holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves. He said, listen, last week we learned, right? Take off the old and put on the new. Take off the old clothes. Don't wear the same old stinky shirt and just put a new shirt over the top of it because you're going to smell the old one, right? He says, take off the old and put on the new. This week we get to talk about some new things that we need to wear. So he says, take off the old. He says, put on 
You must clothe yourself with, and he gives us a list, and I want you to underline these words because we're going to dive into each word. Clothe yourself with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and, what's the next word? Anyone who offends you. Remember, everybody say remember. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must what? Forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. It's interesting because what he says is that you used to wear other garments, used to have a different way of living, but now you've been given a new way because Christ is in you, new garments, and those new garments are going to cause you, are going to encourage you to be a person who forgives. How, how many have had, you know, have our parents and you have children? Remember back in the day when your ch- children were really small and they were so small that they couldn't clothe themselves? So you had to clothe them, right? And they all wore onesies. How many remember onesies? How many are glad that as adults we don't wear onesies, right? Come on now. There came an age where they were old enough to put on their own clothes. If you have a 20-year-old and they're coming to you every morning, throwing their shirt in front of you and going like this, (laughs) you've got a problem. You need to hear next week's message about parenting. The point is, is there comes a point where we have to mature and start putting on the clothes ourselves. And what Paul is saying is change your mindset and become mature. Put on these new clothes. And it's interesting. How many remember growing up and seeing this TV show? In would come this man. He would walk into the door singing, It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. A beautiful day in the neighborhood. And then he would go on and he'd sing as he walked to the closet and took off his jacket and put on a sweater, right, and then took off his shoes and put on his, I don't know, were they house shoes? or I, I don't even remember. Why do you have to change? I don't know. The point is, is Mr. Rogers changed his clothes. And in this passage, what Paul is encouraging us to do is to change our clothes, change our mentality, change the way we live and think about relationships. And the foundational thing he focuses on before he dives into the specifics of those relationships is he says it all starts with one word, forgiveness. Now, as soon as I say that word, I know that most of us, our reaction is, well, I try, but you don't know how bad, you don't know how devastating it was when they did that to me. I'll forget it. I'll try to put it behind me, but I'm never going to forgive them. How in the world can I really forgive? Well, today what I want to do is I want to go through this passage, and as we dive into this passage, we're going to see some things that are going to help us understand how you and I can forgive. So I'm going to give you two big points today. Y'all with me, say amen. Amen. Here's point number one. We're going to dive into the passage. If you're going to forgive, how do you do it? Well, the first thing you have to do is simply this. Write it down. Think before you act. 
think before you act. You might say, Pastor Jerry, where do you get that in this passage? Well, let's go into the, the passage we just read in Colossians. It began to give us a list. He said, put on new clothes, and he listed them. Here's the first thing. Write this down. Put on tender mercies. Tender mercies is a Greek word which means pity or sympathy, but what it really means is compassion. So if you're going to forgive, the starting point is you can't have a hard heart. Remember last week we learned about changing the way we talk, and we learned that you can't deal with your mouth until you deal with your heart. Because out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so Paul is once again kind of giving us the same principle. Start with what's going on in the, the inside. If you're going to learn to forgive, start by putting on compassion. Be someone who begins to have empathy and begins to feel. The second thing he says is it's not just tenderhearted mercies or compassion, but it's kindness. The word kindness in the Greek, it means compassion in action. So you don't just feel compassionate about something, you do something about it. That's kindness. In fact, Jesus explained it this way when he told the story, right, of the man who was robbed on the side of the road, and there were three people that went by this man laying for dead on the side of the road. One was a priest, one was a Levite, and the last was a Samaritan. The priest walked by, the Levite walked by, they probably thought, oh, how sad, I I feel bad that this man has been hurt, but I've got to go to do ministry. And then along comes the Samaritan, and he helped the man. And then Jesus, at the end, asked a question. He said, which one had compassion? You see, compassion isn't just the feeling. It's not just the empathy. It's the thing that motivates you, not just for tenderhearted mercy, but to kindness, which is action. Y'all with me? The next word that he gives is humility. He also ties in the word gentleness, and these two words are very similar. And this, as I was studying it again last night, it really is about a mindset. It's a mindset of humbleness. It's looking at your own situation and recognizing your own weaknesses. Did you know that the classical Greek language does not have a word for humility? In fact, If you lived in the Greek culture, humility was not something that was desirable. It was something that was despised. It it was considered weakness. But I want to tell you, the word humble and meekness are similar. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness or humility is simply power under control. So Paul is saying, listen, if you're going to get to the place of forgiveness, you start by having a softened heart that's compassionate, that leads you to action, that is caused from the fact that you've humbled yourself, that you've changed your mindset, that you're not better than, but that you see others in relation. And then it goes on to the next word, which is patience. The word patience in the Greek, it means this. It means patience in the midst of unpleasant circumstances. Long-suffering. In other words, when things aren't going right, when things are difficult, when you've had conflict, when someone has done you wrong, learning to have patience, all of these pieces of clothing. I, I toyed with the idea of getting dressed this morning like Mr. Rogers. Because you see, the process of forgiveness isn't one thing, it's 
a couple of things. It's a few garments that all have to come together. And through the concept of all of the sweater and the right belt and the right accessories and the right shoes, all of it together is what will help you and I to be people who forgive. And then he goes on and he makes this statement after he goes through this list of tenderhearted mercies, kindness, humility, and patience. Then he gets to the word that's really important. And you say, Pastor, I don't get where the think before you act comes from. Well, this word right here will make it clear. And it's simply this, make allowances. It says, make allowances for someone else's faults. For those who have offended you, forgive them. Now, here's what the word make allowance means in the Greek. It means this, it's to bear, but here's what it means in definition. To hold oneself up against. I'll say it this way. To me, the meaning is simply this. When you bear with someone and when you make allowance for someone's faults, what you're doing is you are looking at their fault and then rather than pointing to their fault, you're looking at their fault as you look in the mirror at yourself too. I had a situation happen at Ralph's right over here in Castaic. And I was in a hurry, and I needed to get somewhere, and I had come running into the store, and I got in line, and then there was this person who was having problems. Anybody ever been behind that person in line that's having problems? You know, usually it's, oh, wait a minute, I forgot that, let me dig through my purse, or, or hey, wait a minute, I need to run back and get something else. Or, and so I was getting a little frustrated and getting a little offended because I was in a hurry. And as I began to look at them, and I'm just being honest and real here and raw, I was getting frustrated. And the more I started watching them, the more frustrated I got. And it went from, this is a person who's not very organized, to this is a person that, and I started noticing what they were wearing. I started I mean, I went down this extrapolation of all these things. And so finally, I get out of the store. I'm frustrated. I get in the car, and I'm thinking, gosh, can you believe that? I'm in a hurry, and they took forever. And then I get ready to pull out, and I look in the rearview mirror with kind of like this smirk on my face. And as I do, I notice something. Now, I have these um, retainers, plastic retainers that go over my, over my teeth. And when I looked in the mirror... At the smirk, I noticed that there was a big green leaf <laughs> right in the middle of my top retainer. So the whole time, I'm staring at this person who's not put together very well, who's having a rough day, and I'm going, I've got a big old hairy thing sticking off of my teeth. My compassion went up a whole new level when I looked in the mirror. Reminds me of a story when Jesus had a group of religious people come and throw a woman caught in adultery at his feet. And as they were staring at her issue and they were staring at her problem and they were staring at the things she did wrong... And they were ready to accuse, they were ready to judge. 
They were ready to throw a stone. What did Jesus do? Here's what I believe Jesus did. He did what Paul instructs us to do when we're facing a situation where we've been offended or someone's done us wrong. What did he do? He reached down in the ground and he began to write in the sand. And what he began to do is he began to raise the mirror. And he said, go ahead and throw the stone, Jeff, but before you do, take a look in the mirror and make sure that you haven't sinned. Maybe, Dina, before you throw that stone, check and see if there's something stuck in your teeth. When he said make allowances, it's this idea that you hold yourself up in comparison, that you look at their fault or you look at their situation, but rather than just studying them. What did Jesus say? He said it's so easy for us to judge others, and we point to the speck in someone else's eye, not realizing that we have a beam in our own. Isn't it interesting that he goes through this list of tender-hearted mercies and kindness and humility? Could looking in the mirror and admitting that we have something in our teeth be a step of a mindset of humility? And then he goes on to patience, long-suffering. Don't just be so quick and short-tempered, but have the ability to, to, to long-suffer in the midst of this situation. And then he goes on and he says, and then take a look at yourself too. And then he, then he says this after all of that. Forgive people, and he says this, because remember, you were forgiven. See, the next word in the list is forgive. Let me give you what the definition of forgive is in the Greek. The definition is, it, there's an idea, first of all, this, the, the translation or the um, definition is simply grant favor to pardon or to rescue. It comes from a word which means being gracious. But the most common idea in um, the word forgiveness that we see, the idea is someone who has a great debt and then the creditor goes to them and says, hey, guess what? Today is your lucky day. I know you owe all this money, but we've decided to wipe the slate clean. Your debt is gone and you are forgiven. You see, what forgiveness is, it's looking at someone else, and, and it's interesting because the last word that comes up there in the list is the word false. He says, forgive those of their faults, or make allowances for those who have committed faults. Or the, the word fault is simply this, it's grievance, and here's what's interesting, it means a legitimate complaint. So when Jesus is there, when Paul is saying, hey, you need to be a person of forgiveness, he's not saying, hey, forgive the people that when you finally talk to them, you realize it was just a misunderstanding. He's not saying forgive the people that, well, they have a good heart, so they probably didn't mean to hurt you. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about the people that did it on purpose. He's talking about the issues that you have a legitimate claim. You have a legitimate right to be upset. You have a legitimate reason to be angry. You see, what Paul is saying is simply this. It's really, 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 really easy to not forgive. 
But if you put your new clothes on and you'll say, Lord, give me a heart of compassion. Lord, help me to, to humble myself. Help me to have patience, to not be so quick to judge. In fact, let me take a look at their debt and, and be willing to forgive that debt. And here's why. Because I'm remembering as I look in the mirror that I've got something stuck in my tooth, that, that I've got a debt and you took care of my debt. You paid the debt for me and now I'm debt-free, hallelujah. And because I'm debt-free, maybe that's why Jesus said, freely I have received, therefore freely I give. Reminds me of a, a story. You see, the way that forgiveness comes is you've got to think before you act. You have to have the courage to say, you know what, before I judge someone, I'm going to walk in their moccasins. I'm going to maybe find out if there's a backstory. I'm going to have compassion, I'm going to have empathy because maybe hurt people hurt people. In fact, I'm going to have compassion because maybe I've hurt people and I've forgiven. It reminds me of the story of this little boy. He, he lived across the street from a farmer. And the farmer one day put up on the a fence a sign saying, puppies for sale. Anybody like puppies? I love puppies. How many are not so excited about dogs? Okay. We, we have dog people here. How many cat people here? Okay, let's pray for all the cat people. Wow, that got a clap. Whew. Feelings are strong in the house today. Puppies for sale. Well, the next day, the little boy from across the street walks across the street to the farmer, walks up, grabs money in his pocket, a handful of change, gives it to the farmer and says, Sir, I'd like to buy one of your puppies. The farmer takes the change and counts 39 cents. He said, 39 cents? He goes, wow, that is the exact amount I was looking for for one of my puppies. So he turned around to one of his workers and he said, hey, open up the cage. And he opened the cage and four puppies jumped out and come running to the little boy. And the little boy was playing with the puppies when he noticed a fifth puppy came out of the cage. But this puppy had something wrong with its back legs and it, it couldn't run, it couldn't jump, it just kind of wobbled out of the cage. And as soon as the little boy saw the other puppy, he looked at the farmer and he said, sir, I know which puppy I want. That is the puppy that I want to buy. And the farmer, he was perplexed and puzzled and he said, no, 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 young man, you don't understand. You don't want to buy this puppy because this puppy has some problems with its back legs and it's never going to be able to run. It's never going to be able to play like the other puppies. And then the little boy stood up and he pulled up his pant leg and he pulled up his other pant leg to reveal that there were metal braces connected to his legs with special metal boots. And he looked at the man and he said, no, I want that puppy because I don't run well either and this puppy is going to need someone that understands. Could it be that what Paul is saying is that this world is filled with people who need someone to understand? 
Could it be that the way you and I learn to be people of forgiveness is that we don't just act out of anger? We, we talked about that last week. That, that we're people who put up the mirror and look at our own reflection and, and evaluate our own debts that were paid by God first. Because I'm going to tell you, when you stop and you think first and you begin to meditate on who you are and what God has done in your life and you remember that you've been forgiven, suddenly you see that person with the broken legs and then you look down and you realize I've got some braces and I've got some issues and I've got some challenges and if God can forgive me, then maybe I need to do like he did because I'm his child, I'm a reflection of him and I need to understand and forgive also. Somebody say amen. James chapter one, verse 19. I'm just gonna, this verse I think is a beautiful example of this idea and it says this. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. You know what I want to say? When you're ready to lash out, when you're ready to retaliate, or when the topic comes up and you're ready to close the door and say, I'm never going to forgive that person for what they did, maybe the first thing you need to do is just stop and begin to think. Think about what God has done for you. Think about where he's brought you from. Maybe you need to remember the people you've hurt and then think of the moment that Jesus came and he simply said, your debt has been paid. You have been forgiven. Think before you act. I think that's what Paul was communicating in this passage. Here's the second part, and, and I want to kind of throw this in because it's an important principle in the process of forgiveness. Now, I've taught on forgiveness over the years here at Higher Vision, but as you know, we're going through the book of Colossians, and I'm not, I'm not picking the topic. The text is picking the topic, and so this is the topic this week. The second part to forgiveness, how do we do it? Number one, think before you act. Write this down. Number two is pray it before you say it. Pray it before you say it. I want to show you in the Bible there is a correlation between prayer and forgiveness. And we're going to go to the very words of Jesus to let us see it for the, the first time. If you haven't seen this or you haven't thought about it in this way, look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 13. The disciples are saying, hey, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And so Jesus has given us a model for our prayer life. And it isn't interesting what we'll discover in the middle of that constant daily prayer life we're supposed to have. He begins by saying, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and now look what's set right in the midst of our daily routine of prayer to God. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Another translation says, forgive us of our sins as we forgive the people who have sinned against us. And then isn't it interesting that right after that, the next prayer is, and deliver us from temptation or now do not lead us into temptation but deliver us from the evil one who is the evil one guess what his name is the accuser of the brethren so we begin in this prayer with uh, worship our father in heaven 
hallowed be your name, acknowledging that he's our father. You begin with worship, being in his presence, acknowledging your relationship and connection with him, his sovereignty. It moves on to thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Lord, give us this, this bread that we need today. And I don't believe he's just talking about provision in the natural. I think he's talking about his word because the Bible says you can't live by bread alone, but by every word. So you're saying, God, I need you to speak to me. I need you to guide me. I need your words to nourish me. And then the very next thing we pray is, Lord, thank you that I've been forgiven. Forgive me of my sins and help me to be a person who forgives because if I don't, I'm going to be led into temptation and I'm going to become like the evil one. Pray it before you say it. In fact, could it be that you'll never say it if you don't pray it? My, I'll tell you a story. My father, who has been pastoring in Selma now for over 30-some years, he was here this year in May, and it was an honor to have him come and speak. He's turning 75. We had a little pre-birthday party for him down in San Diego last week. And um, as he's gotten older, one of the things he's wanted to do is make sure that we know about his life. And so whenever we get together, he's always telling a new story, something that happened when he was young or something that happened in, in his journey. And I'll never forget this last Christmas, we were sitting around the table and he started to tell a story that I'd never heard before. And he looked at all of us and he said, guys, you know, and he named the person, we knew them, they attend, Higher Vision, or they attend New Hope Family Church. And he said, let me tell you a story. He said, you know, when I became the pastor of New Hope Family Church, he said, after a short time, this gentleman and his wife came to me and they said, I don't think you're a very good pastor and I don't think you're going to make it and we're not going to stay in this church. And so he said, they left. And he said, I was hurt. Because they looked at me and said, I don't believe in you and you're not a good leader. I don't think you can do this job and we're not going to follow you. And so they left. And he said, struggled with that for a while. He said, but a short time after that, I got some teaching on forgiveness. And I began to think about it. And suddenly I began to realize I need to forgive. He said, Jared, I began to pray every day the Lord's Prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive Robert Crabtree. Lord, forgive him. I forgive Robert Crabtree. And I pray that you would bless him. And he said, Jared, I prayed that for two months every day. He said, and then suddenly one day the phone rang and guess who it was? Robert Crabtree. He said, I want to have a meeting with you. Would that be possible? And I said, sure, he said. So they get together and Robert Crabtree said this. He said, Pastor, I don't know what's happened, but... I realized that what I did to you was wrong and I want to ask you to forgive me. And I realized I've hurt you and I've hurt others and I don't want to be that kind of person. Will you forgive me and can I come back home? And that was 23 years ago. And he's still in the church and they're still serving and they're still involved and he's one of my dad's biggest supporters why? Because there's something powerful when you begin to pray and you begin to say, I forgive. 
Isn't it interesting that we find a verse in Luke chapter 6? Here's what Jesus said. He said in, in 6.20, he says, Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. Do you see the combination? There's the praying it, and there's the saying it. In fact, I want to say there is something powerful that happens when you say it. Reminds me of a story, and I was sitting back in this section here at Higher Vision Church. We had a funeral, and there was a, a gentleman who was a coach in the community here, and he had passed away, and the place was filled. There were professional athletes that he had trained when they were younger that had come back, flew back in to be a part of this funeral. And as we were sitting there, I was sitting right next to um, Pastor Wayman. We were sitting next to each other and I began to hear these people get up one after another and talk about what a great man he was and how he's a man of integrity and character and how he believed in people and all of this stuff. And everyone was just speaking all of these amazing things. And then at the very end of the funeral, something happened that I probably will never forget. His oldest son, who he had adopted, he had gotten married to his wife and his wife had already had a child. And I don't know all the details specifically, but he had taken this son as, as a stepson and then they had had more kids together, but then he'd adopted the oldest son as his own. And so his adopted son stood up in front of everyone and what I was ready and waiting to hear was all the glowing, awesome things right off the bat that everybody else was saying, but here was the story that he told. He stood there and his eyes filled up with tears and he said, you know, today I'm standing in front of you and he said, I've had an interesting journey with my father. He said, to be real honest, I grew up hating my father. He was strong, he was a disciplinarian. When I played sports, he expected a lot out of me and and I didn't like it. In fact, people would come up to me on the team and they'd say, man, your dad is the coach. And they would say, man, I wish my dad was your, or your dad was my, you know, the coach was my dad. And he said, I would agree with him. I wish he was your dad too. <laughs> I wish he was yours and not mine. And he said, over the years, I grew up and became an adult and couldn't wait to get out. And he said, I knew that, that I was going to at some point tell him what I thought of him. And he said, one day after we'd had our first child, he said, along came this phone call from my dad saying, can we come over and spend some time with you and the baby? And so we said, come on over. And he came over to the house and we sat down and we started to drink something. And he said, then my dad looked at me and he said, son, I'm sorry. I wasn't the dad that I could have been. I didn't treat you the way you should have been treated and I'm, I regret it and I want to ask you, please forgive me for not being a better father. And as he stood there at that funeral, he went on to say at that moment, he said, I had been waiting for this moment. He said, I've been waiting my whole life for this moment because I knew if it came, I was not going to let him off the hook because I knew as soon as he said it to me, if he ever did, it was going to be my chance to lay into him and tell him everything that he had done and all the pain that he had caused. And I was ready for that moment. But at the moment I opened my mouth to say what I thought I was going to say, something happened. He said, I got a lump in my throat. 
My eyes filled up with tears. And what came out of my mouth was, it's okay, Dad. You did the best that you could. Thanks for adopting me. Thanks for being my dad. He said everything changed in that moment. And he said, I'm a teacher. And he said, you know what I do every year in front of my students? I tell stories about my dad. He wasn't perfect. But he said, I can stand before you today and tell you he was a man of character. And was a man of integrity. And I sat back there in that room and I was bawling. To see what happened. I don't know what happens, but there's something supernatural, something that's beyond this, this human reality that we cannot grasp. Something happens when you've begun to pray it and then you finally say it. There's something powerful about releasing the debt and saying, you don't owe me anymore because I'm a man who's debt-free and I don't want you to be a man strapped with debt. See, I remember I've been forgiven and because I've been forgiven then maybe you need to be forgiven too. You see, something happens when you and I begin to think and meditate and we put in perspective, from a heavenly perspective, what others have done in our situations and what we've done. And then we begin to pray about it and we begin to, to, to mull that in prayer and something begins to change and then the next thing you know, you're able to say it. Why? Because you've started to pray it. Because why? God has not just dealt with your mouth. He's dealt with your mouth by dealing with your heart and out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So once he's dealt with the heart, then the mouth begins to speak and we know, we learned it last week, the power of words, that we have the ability. What does it say? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Could it be that the healing of that relationship is required for you to say so? Because our words determine the direction of our life. And you can continue on a, a road of bitterness. You see, here's the sad thing. When you and I don't forgive, here's what we do. We live without peace. And we live without joy. I want to read the last part of this passage today. Colossians chapter 3, verse 15 through 17. Paul says, tenderhearted mercy, kindness, Patience, humility, put those things on, and forgiveness. Now watch what happens, and then it says, and put on love, which is the bond of harmony, creates harmony. So once you've done all these things, now look at what happens in the spirit in your life when you've put on the right clothes. He goes on to say, and let the what? The what? And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as a member of one body, you are called to live in peace. Let me stop and tell you something. God doesn't want you to live in, in bitterness and in pain and in, in uncertainty and in fear and in frustration and, and the, the man who's calculating everybody's debts. He's called you to live in peace. But peace comes on the other side. Look at this. Peace comes on the other side of forgiveness. 
Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God our Father. Isn't it interesting? This person's whole mentality changes. You become a thankful person. You become a person of wisdom who's sharing the word with others. The word of God is being deposited in you. It's transforming how you talk, how you think, how you worship. And it all is connected, this peace that will transform you. You know, the Bible says that God's peace, that he will set it in Philippians like a guard around your heart and mind. Peace comes. When you and I put on the right clothes, and the right clothes is a willingness to forgive. I want to end with this. The word peace in the Greek means two things. It means the concept of an agreement. When two people are at war and they have an agreement, they come into peace. That agreement brings peace. That's, that's one of the meanings of this word. The other meaning of this word is an attitude of security and rest. You see, too many of us are still at war because we haven't taken on the agreement. We haven't taken on the contract. We haven't taken on the principle. You see, when you and I take on the principle of Christ, when we put on the right clothes, when we sign the agreement, then God gives us peace. Because here's what the word, it says, let it rule in your hearts. Here's what the word rule means in the Greek. It means this. It means a referee or an umpire who has the authority to call the game. I don't know if you remember, if you're a football fan, a couple years ago, the year I think that the Seahawks won the Super Bowl, I think it was that year, or it may have been last year, they played the Green Bay Packers. And at the end of a regular season game, Russell Wilson threw a Hail Mary, and the guy caught the pass, and they called a touchdown. And then there was all this confusion. Did he catch it? Did he not catch it? Because it was the, whether the game's going to be won or not. And ultimately, what happened is the refs came together, and they finally went, it's a touchdown. They called the game, and Seattle won. Now, if you go back and you watch the films, and you talk to the pundits, and you talk to the people who understand the rules, they say that they called it wrong, and Seattle shouldn't have won the game. Here's the point. It doesn't matter because once the ref called the game, it was done. And there's too many of us that are living life wondering, what's going to happen? Oh no, is it going to go our way or is it going to go that way? And they're caught up in all of this confusion and all of this worry and all of this strife. And what Jesus is saying, what Paul is saying, what the Word is saying to you and I is, listen, don't live wondering what's going to happen. Don't live in confusion. Don't live in war. Don't live in conflict. Instead, why don't you take on my agreement? Why don't you be a person of forgiveness? And when you do, I'll stand up with the outfit and the hat and the whistle. I'll make the call. Peace will come. It'll surround your heart. It'll surround your mind. And nothing can take it away. Ever. Nothing can rob your peace. Listen, he's ready to make the call. But he can't make the call until you're willing to forgive.